Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. We're continuing in the book of John. We've been going through, um, sometimes as you know, we just like to get a book of the Bible and go through it. We believe, um, you know, not just to preach on topics or ideas, but to take a book and just really go through it. And part of the reason we do that is we want to preach the whole gospel of Christ. We want to preach all of God's word, not just parts of it. But also, I find that as we do this, whenever I hear this kind of preaching, it opens up things to me as I'm hearing it that I wouldn't necessarily otherwise notice or pick up when I'm reading. So it's really good to go through and just really unpack some stuff. So we've been going through the book of John. Now, two weeks ago, uh, Randall took us through John 7, verses 1 to 10. So we're going to continue on from there. And in those verses 1 to 10, uh, you will remember what Randall was talking about was uh, Jesus, he's with his brothers, there's a festival about to happen, and the brothers are going to the festival, and the brothers are saying to Jesus, you should come to the festival and do some of your miracles, because then people will see how amazing and great you are. So they were basically wanting Jesus to to up his profile, to increase his uh, fame level. So at that point, Jesus said, it's not my time. And so he said, I won't be going up to the festival with you. Um, So today we're going to do some reading um, from verse 11. We will have a bit of scripture today, so I hope you like the Bible as much as I do. Um, But at the festival at this point, there's a bit of argy-bargy going on. Now Jesus um, has come to the festival initially, but he's hanging back and keeping a low profile. And when he starts to come out... There are people arguing about him. Um, And some people say he's a good guy. Well, I'll read it. I'll actually read you the scripture. We'll read from verse 11. It says, The Jewish leaders tried hard to find him at the festival. Now, the reason they were looking for him at the festival was about something that had happened, which we can read in John chapter 5. In John 5, we see there was a crippled man, and Jesus had healed him. The issue for them was the healing happened on the Sabbath day. And so Jesus is working in their minds. So Jesus heals the crippled man. The man gets up and walks, and they are angry. The Pharisees are angry. The Pharisees are looking for him. They want to kill him because he's done this on the Sabbath. And so it says they kept asking if anyone had seen him. There was a lot of grumbling about him in the crowds. Some argued. Some argued. He's a good man. But others said, he is nothing but a fraud who deceives the people. But no one that had the courage to speak favorably about him in public, for they were afraid of getting into trouble with the Jewish leaders. And then if we have a look at verse 20, it says, the crowd, uh, Jesus had said some stuff, and the crowd says to him, you are demon-possessed, who is trying to kill you? The Pharisees were angry because Jesus had healed someone on the Sabbath. They go to the man who's been healed. The man's walking along, carrying his mat. He'd been lying on the mat while he was crippled. So 
uh, he's, Jesus said, pick your mat up, walk. So he picks his mat up, he walks. So he's, I guess he's heading home. I don't know where he's going. And he's got his mat with him. And the Pharisees come and they say, who healed you? The man doesn't know who Jesus is. And he says, I don't know who. He just told me to pick up my mat and, and walk and I'm healed. The Pharisees are angry at him for carrying the mat because it's the Sabbath. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. So he just says, the guy who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. So this is the scene that we are coming into. The Pharisees are upset. They want to kill Jesus. The crowd are arguing amongst themselves. Some say, he's a good guy, he's okay. Others go, no, 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 he's an absolute deceiver. And he's trying to defraud all of us as people. The crowd are not looking to kill Jesus. The crowd are trying to understand him. The Pharisees are not looking to understand Jesus. They are looking to kill him. So you've got these two different things happening at the moment. You can see the way the crowd is going because as the crowd is talking, it says there's a lot of grumbling and arguing and those who felt favourably about him were too afraid to speak up. So we can feel that the crowd is becoming hostile. So that those who like Jesus, those who feel okay about Jesus, are made to feel afraid to even speak up. It takes courage to follow Jesus. It did then and it does now. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but I've heard people say, oh, Christians are weaklings. They need a crutch. They need something to lean on. You know, that's Christian people aren't strong. But we live in a world that is not pro-Jesus. So to make a stand for Jesus isn't easy. To be the people who stand for Jesus is not easy. Being a Christian is not for weaklings. Well, we can be as weak as we want to. In our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. Amen? But it takes courage to stand for Jesus. It did. Then those who liked him were going, well, I think he's okay. But they were too scared to even speak up. Now, as followers of Jesus, it is not our job to seek the approval or popularity of other people. It's not our job to try and be popular with other people. In fact, that's called fear of man, and fear of man leads to compromise. If it's too important to us that people like us, if it's too important that everybody approves of us, if we are afraid to ever speak up, we will compromise ourselves because we will be in fear of man. As followers of Jesus, our job is to seek God's approval. Our job is to live lives that God wants us to live. That's called fear of God. And the Bible tells us that fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So all wisdom comes from the fear of God. So fear of man leads to compromise. Fear of God leads to wisdom and living life in a wise way. So if you are the only Christian in your workplace, if you are the only Christian in the place where you study or whatever you do in life, whatever you do, you know, all the other days of the week, if you are the only Christian there, I know that it takes courage to be a Christian. It takes courage to do that. Speaking up for Jesus, speaking up for your faith may not be easy, but God has called us to be salt and light. Amen? We need to know the line where we don't compromise. We are salt and we are light. You'll be pleased to know that my work colleagues are both Christians since I work in the church. I'll just point that out to you in case there was any doubt about Jim or Randall. But there's a scripture that really set me free about this. 
about that sense of sometimes people can give you an attitude for being a Christian. Sometimes people can be a bit hostile. Just even little things. We recently, last week we had George McArdle who came and he was part of the Little River Band and was saved in an amazing way. And so he came and, and told us his testimony and did some music and stuff like that. So we put a Facebook ad up about George McArdle's coming. If you want to hear his great testimony, come and hear his story. Somebody got on Facebook, some, someone out there, and said some not very nice things about Christians. See, this is what happens. We live in a world that can be a little bit hostile to Christianity, don't we? But God calls us to remain strong in our stand for him and to not compromise who we are. But this is the scripture that really set me free when I would hear something or something would be said or I'd read something that, so that I wouldn't become upset or bothered or try and pull back. There's a scripture, Ephesians 6.12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, this is the passage that's talking about putting on the armour of God, but it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. See, why is this crowd acting this way? Why the grumbling? Why the arguing? Why the insults? Why did they say to Jesus, you, you must be demon-possessed? Why are they insulting him? Why might you get attitude for your faith? This crowd is being led to be against Jesus. And crowds are easily led and influenced. People are very easily influenced. Do they hate that Jesus healed a man? No. People love good works. People love good works. And in fact, there's a lot of people who think that's the only thing the church should be doing ever is good works, but not anything else. People love good works. Do they have a personal issue with Jesus, personally something against him? No. Pretty much most of them won't even know who he is at this point but they're caught up in a crowd mentality. But remember this, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. If someone is giving you a hard time, if someone is giving you an attitude for your faith, it's not about them and it's not about you. What is leading them is opposed to who lives inside of you. It's not personal. And we need to learn not to take these things personally. There's an unseen motivation at play here in what's happening with Jesus. There's an unseen motivation. The people don't realise that the Pharisees are trying to rile them up to join with them to want to kill Jesus. What's, be, what's at odds is the behaviour in them and who is Jesus and what is in Jesus. Jim and I were um, once, a couple of years ago, we were with friends and they put on a TV show and they said, oh, look, we just really like this certain guy. He's an illusionist. Um, and uh, so we're watching this TV show with them. And it, this episode by this illusionist was a total mockery of Pentecostal Christians. Our friends, you know, they're not Christian. I kind of assumed they would turn it off at that point. But anyway, they didn't. And so we sat and we watched the whole show. And what it was, this illusionist was on a stage. He had an audience. And... He would use words that we use in Pentecostal services about the Holy Spirit and all that sort of thing. He would call people forward and say, you've got a pain in your back. And then he would hypnotise them. They would fall and then he would call them to stand up and they'd say, oh, my pain is gone. And then they'd use words to say, praise God. I mean, it was an absolute mockery of, of our type of services sometimes. So we're sitting there and we're watching this. And all I could think was, is that man going to go too far? Is it going to be too late for this man? 
is he going to turn himself around before it's too late? Later on, when Jim and I were alone, he said to me, did you feel upset? Were you offended? You know, whatever. And I said to him, I'm not the least bit offended because it's, it's not about me. I said, that man doesn't know what he's doing. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, the people were brutalizing him, the people who did brutalize him. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And I said to Jim, I don't feel hurt. I don't feel offended. Because the, peop- the man on the stage doing that, he doesn't know what he's doing. Our friends putting that on, they don't know what they're doing. There are unseen forces behind the actions of people. It's very rarely about the people themselves. And I found that scripture just so set me free. If someone wanted to shoot at me about being a Christian or someone knocked our church or someone, you know, just that stuff that can happen in the world and sometimes when people say stuff or, oh, really, you're one of those blind faith people or whatever, I just find that I'm just so set free from that because I think, you, darling, do not know the force that is behind you causing you to act. You don't know what you're doing. See, as Christians, we need to not compromise because those who would like to attack us, they don't know what they're doing. They're the crowd people who are being rolled up by people who want to kill Jesus. And we have an enemy who wants to rile people up to attack Jesus in us. It's not personal. And that's what set me free on that. I don't have those fears anymore now when people can get whatever, whatever. And of course, there's those people who have no issue with it. Absolutely fine. They might not be Christians, but they're fine about us being Christians. Jim and I were having dinner with a few people last week and um, two of the people there were young men and one of the young men said to me, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a pastor. And he went, oh, that's cool. And the other young man went, that's so wholesome. So I'm cool and wholesome. I thought that was, that was all right. I've never been called that before. So, okay, let's keep going. Verse 14. It says, not until, then midway, sorry, I've got my different version here. Then midway through the festival, Jesus went up to the temple and he began to teach. The people were surprised when they heard him. How does he know so much when he hasn't even been trained, they asked. See, back in those days, there were rabbis and people would go and learn at the feet of rabbis. Remember, Paul learned at the feet of Gamaliel. Sorry, I might be saying it wrongly. Sorry? Gamaliel. And so, thank you. And so you would be considered taught if you've sat at the feet of a rabbi and then you are a disciple of that rabbi. But they knew Jesus had not gone and sat at the feet of any rabbi. Jesus only connected with God. Jesus was not a disciple of any man. You and I, we're not disciples of any man. We're disciples of Jesus. Amen? We are discipled by Jesus. So they were like, how can he know all this? No one's taught him. He hasn't had a rabbi take him through all the learning and all the teaching. So Jesus begins to teach and they are amazed. Now you may remember earlier in the chapter, Jesus had said, and this is the part where Randall was teaching us two weeks ago, Jesus had said to his brothers, I'm not going up to the festival with you. But now we see Jesus has gone to the festival. For the first half of the festival, he's kept a very low profile. He's kept himself out of sight. Then midway through the festival, he goes to the temple and he begins to teach. 
So you might say, well, why did he say to the brothers, I'm not going up to the festival, or he said, I'm not going with you up to the festival, and now he's up at the festival, and halfway through he begins to teach. Did Jesus change his mind? What's going on here? Well, the answer is in what Jesus said to his brothers earlier. He said, my time has not yet come. It's all about timing. He was there out of sight for the first half of the festival, and then in the middle of the festival, he goes and he begins to preach. In other words, he's no longer keeping a low profile. Verse 16 says this, So Jesus told them, My message is not my own. It comes from God who sent me. Anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely my own. Those who speak for themselves want only glory for themselves. But a person who seeks to honour the one who sent him speaks the truth, not lies. Moses gave you the law, but none of you obeys it. In fact, you're trying to kill me. So Jesus makes clear why he's speaking now and where his authority comes from. He has authority from God because he has been sent by God. The one who sends you is the one who gives authority. Amen? If, if someone invited Pastor Jim to some sort of thing and he couldn't go, and he said, Randall, would you go in my stead? Whatever Randall's doing, he's doing that under the authority of Jim, representing this church. Whoever sends you gives you authority. Now, Galatians 4.4 tells us that at the perfect time, God sent his son into the world. God's perfect plan includes God's perfect timing. Habakkuk 2 verse 3 says this, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it, it will certainly come and it will not delay. There was an appointed time for Jesus to be arrested, an appointed time for him to be crucified. So you would sometimes, when you're reading the Gospels, you will see where Jim, Jesus is asked, oh, I can't Jim. Jesus is asked, Lucy's not in the room, no one tell him. They would often say to Jesus, you should come and do so and so, come and show your stuff. And Jesus said, no, my time's not yet come. Because there was an appointed time for Jesus to be arrested. There was an appointed time for Jesus to be crucified. In fact, there was an appointed time, or Jesus' arrival was in the appointed time and manner of God. Amen? In the plan of God. And then Jesus being arrested was in the appointed time and manner of God. And then Jesus being crucified was in the appointed time and manner of God. Jesus being resurrected was the appointed time and manner of God. Jesus ascending into heaven was the appointed time and manner of God. The sending of the Holy Spirit to empower us, the church, was in the appointed time and in the manner of God. The whole of Jesus' life, everything he said, everything he did, was what God told him and in God's perfect timing. Everything was always in God's perfect timing. So he's saying to them, if I was here speaking for myself, blah, 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 what's he saying? He's saying, I have been sent by God. He was on a mission from God. His whole life was fulfilling the mission that God had sent him to do in the appointed time and manner. Now, I'm believing for a miracle for someone I love. I'm believing for a miracle. And I'm pretty sure, well, not pretty sure, I know, I'm not the only one in this room who's believing for a miracle 
a breakthrough, a turnaround in the life of someone you love. I'm believing for a miracle in that. Now, James 1 says that if you're going through a trial, ask God for wisdom because he will give it freely. Amen? It says he doesn't discriminate. So if you're going through a trial, don't ever think, well, God wouldn't speak to me. Why would God bother with me? The Bible says he will, he will give you wisdom freely and he will not discriminate against anybody. So I prayed and I was praying to God about the trial and I said, Lord, I need wisdom in this. I need you to give me wisdom in this. I'm believing for a miracle. I need your wisdom. And as I prayed, I felt this strong thing of God impressing on me. You need to believe for this and have faith like you've never had faith before. Have faith, do not waver from it. Absolutely believe it. You see, sometimes we ask God for wisdom and we think the wisdom's going to be ideas of how to handle this or an opportunity to get out of the thing that's bothering us or whatever. But I just felt God so strongly impress on me, you need to believe me and do not waver and do not move. I knew that I knew that I knew that was God's wisdom for me in that moment. And so I made a decision right in that moment to believe God and not be moved from that. And every day I say to the Lord, I speak that out, Lord, I trust you in this and I will not be moved from it. I say it morning and I say it night. I trust you in this, Lord, and I will not be moved from it. No matter what I see with my eyes, no matter what I hear with my ears, we walk by faith, not by sight. Amen? If we always walk by faith, or walk by sight, we will never be able to faith anything out. Because sight is what we see, what we hear, our circumstances. When we walk by faith, we're like this. We're steady, we trust God, we walk with God. So our circumstances can't shake us. So I said, Lord, I'm trusting you in this. I will not be moved from trusting you. Faith always starts with a decision to believe. It always starts with a decision to believe. And in fact, faith doesn't act until it's told to act. Faith lays dormant as long as we allow it to remain dormant. For many years, I, I thought, oh, I just wish I had more faith. And then I really felt God say to me, use the faith you've got. You've got faith. I have given to each person a measure of faith. I had all this dormant faith. And one of the reasons God's allowed this circumstance in my life that I need a miracle is so that my faith will I'll actually go, I actually have to activate some faith. Because otherwise, we're like this. We're on a roller coaster with our circumstances. So it's just faith and I will not be moved from that. If you are going through a trial, I just want to say this to you. Pray and ask God for specific wisdom for that specific trial. His promise is he will give it to you. When I say asking for wisdom, I don't mean crying out, why me, God? Don't you love me? Say to God, Lord, I need specific wisdom for this trial. I need your wisdom to walk your way. Not asking to get you out of it necessarily. God, I need your wisdom to go your way. So ask him for that. Secondly, make a decision to apply your faith without wavering. God, I'm going to believe you in this. I'm going to trust you in this. Those are verbs. Sometimes faith is not any action except believe, trust, 
obey, lean, surrender, verbs. That's the faith of action in our lives. When we're waiting, waiting, there's another one. God, I'm waiting on you and I will not be moved from trusting you in this. I will not be moved from trusting you. And thirdly, remember that God's plan is God's timing. We often go, God, I'd like the answer and if I could have it before I go to bed tonight, that'd be good. God's plan is in God's timing. And in God's timing, we have to wait. And what do we do when we wait? We trust without wavering. And if you're like me and you need to verbalise that every day, do it. Don't do it in front of a bunch of people in the shopping centre. They'll think you're nuts. Before I get out of bed in the morning, I verbalise my trust in God. I don't lift my head off the pillow until I've spoken to God about this because I don't want my day to go into doubt or into any whatever in my circumstance. I trust you in this God. I will not be moved. I will not be moved by what I hear, by what I see. I trust you in this God. Romans 4, 20 and 21. This really spoke to me, this scripture, and I believe this may really speak to some people this morning. It says this, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do what he promises. There is an appointed time for God to do what he has promised and he will do it. He will do it. What's our job? Our job is to trust him. Our job is to believe him. Our job is not to compromise. Our job is not to excuse away our faith. That's what I've done in the past. Well, maybe that's going to happen now. Okay, all right. I can see that. Okay, we'll go there. No, no, no. No, God, I trust you in this and I won't be moved. That's our job. When we don't waver, faith gets stronger. When you don't waver, your faith will become stronger. Spurgeon said this, to trust God in the light is nothing. To trust him in the dark, now that's faith. To trust him in the dark, that's faith. Okay, verse 21 says, Jesus replied, this is when they've just called him demon-possessed. Jesus replied, I did one miracle on the Sabbath and you were amazed. You work on the Sabbath too when you obey Moses' law of circumcision. Actually, the tradition of circumcision began with the patriarchs long before the law of Moses. It began in the time of Abraham. For if the correct time for circumcising your son falls on the Sabbath, you go ahead and do it so as not to break the law of Moses. So why should you be angry with me for healing a man on the Sabbath? Here Jesus calls out the hypocrisy hiding behind their hostility. There's hypocrisy hiding behind hostility. The hostility is a front because there's a hypocritical attitude on the inside. Impure motives bring impure behaviour. Their motives were impure, so their behaviour was impure. And Jesus calls them out on it. He says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Well, different words. I know we call them hypocrites in another time. Once again, there's an unseen motivation at play here and it has little to do with the people themselves. The crowd are carrying on. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They're being led like sheep. 
And then Jesus ends what he is saying here with these words in, this is verse 24. Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. Jesus is being chased by those who want to kill him and he's been insulted by the crowd. And all he says to them, look beneath the surface. You're not judging correctly. He's calling out their misunderstanding and their misjudgment because they are only looking on the surface level of things. Look beneath the surface when you are being attacked for your faith. Look beneath the surface when that is happening. The surface, not service. There are deeper motives at play. If you're being attacked for your faith, if you're being mocked and being insulted because you're a Christian, there's a deeper motive at play. Don't worry about the person. Don't take it personally. It's not about you. It's not really about them. It's about what's behind them that's angry at who lives in you. And who lives in us is greater than he who lives in the world. Amen? So never have to fear mockery, whatever it is. It's nothing. It's not personal. It's not you. And don't get caught up in a crowd mentality because we are called to stand for Jesus and not compromise ourselves. Look beneath the surface when things aren't happening as you planned. God's timing is perfect and the revelation awaits an appointed time. See, when I prayed to God for wisdom and he, I felt so strongly that he was talking to me about believing and keeping my faith strong, I, I knew that was his wisdom to me and that's my revelation. My revelation from God is that I just need to trust and have faith in him and let him do what he's doing in this circumstance. The revelation waits an appointed time. When you're going through something, ask God to give you wisdom. And when he speaks to you and says something, that's your revelation. You hold on to your revelation because upon the rock of revelation, God is building his church. And on that revelation, it awaits an appointed time. So wait and have faith. Begin to speak faith and trust into your situation. Whatever it is, begin to speak faith and trust. Instead of speaking the words of the trouble, instead of speaking the words of disappointment, discouragement, fear, those words that we so easily speak, the Bible says we can capture our words and bring them into obedience of Jesus. So that's what I've been learning to do. No, I'm not going to speak those words. I'm going to speak the words of faith and trust. To capture those, put them out, and overcome them with the words of God. Look beneath the surface when you go through trials of all kinds. There is a wisdom and revelation that you will never get unless you're going through that trial. Do you ever wonder why we have to have trials? Because there is wisdom and revelation we will never get in the easy good times. There is a depth in God we never get in the easy good times. There is a Because it even says in James, or it says, ask God for wisdom, it says he is perfecting you. He's knocking off all those bad bits, all those things that aren't meant to be there. He's knocking those things off us. None of that happens when everything's sweet and rosy. When, we, when we're in a trial and we dig into God, that's when this stuff happens. In the middle of the darkness, God is bringing the light. Amen? Why don't you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're just drawing to a close. God is good, amen? I reckon there's people here and you're going through stuff and you're believing for God to 
for a breakthrough, a miracle, a turning around of someone, maybe a salvation for someone. I want to say to you, ask God to give you wisdom, his specific wisdom in that situation. See, I may go through another trial and I'll say to God, God, I need your wisdom. He may say something different. He may say, now you've got to get up and go and do so-and-so. He will give you wisdom for what you're going through. That is his promise. And there's no discrimination about anybody. So every person is a candidate to receive that wisdom. Revelation from God upon which you can set your life because revelation is a rock. I'm going to pray with you now this morning. And there might be some people and you're going through some stuff. I'm not going to ask you to come forward today. But as I pray, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand to God and say, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's me. And I'm going to ask God to start giving you specific wisdom for your specific circumstance. His revelation right to your heart. So he is speaking to you. So if that's you, I'm going to pray now. I'm just invite you to raise your hand to him and say, Lord, yes, touch me and touch my life. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are our God. I thank you that you are almighty. I thank you that you are all loving. I thank you that you are merciful. And Lord, I have my hand raised with so many in the house this morning. And if you're online, why don't you raise your hand too and begin to speak to God. Lord, I pray for every person with their hand raised here. And I pray that the wisdom, specific wisdom of God, your wisdom, Lord, will come upon them in the name of Jesus. Lord, that with that wisdom comes that peace. So they know even in the darkness, they have the light. They know they're okay. Lord, I pray for every person who's raising their hand to you today, Lord, that you will speak to them, that, Lord, they will hear your voice in the night, Lord, that they will know your voice in their heart, that they will know that the wisdom of God is coming upon them. I pray for every one of us, Lord, that you would do that work. Lord, I pray breakthrough and miracle in the lives of your people. Lord, there's so many hands raised here, not to me, but to you, Lord. So many hands raised here. Lord, we declare you're a miracle working God. We declare that you're a God who gives good gifts to your children. Lord, we declare that your ear is inclined to your children. Lord, we declare that you are the Father who loves us. Lord, we declare that you bring miracles and you bring breakthrough. You turn situations around, Lord. Heavenly Father, just as it says in Genesis, um, what the enemy means for harm, you are going to turn for good. I absolutely believe that, Lord, for what I'm talking to you about. And every person here, I declare that over you now. What the enemy has meant for harm, God is going to turn for good. And we trust you in this, Lord. We put our hand up to you, Lord, and we say we will not be moved from our faith in you. We will not be moved from trusting you. We will not be moved from believing you. But we will believe that you are going to do what you have promised that you would do. You will do what you have promised that you would do. I declare it in the name of Jesus over every person here this morning that we will not be moved until you have done what you have promised you are going to do because you are a God who does not break his promises. You are not a man that you would lie. That's what your word promises us. And so, Lord, I thank you. Holy Spirit, I invite you into the life of every person who's seeking you today. If there's any by um, any online, I, I invite you into these lives, Lord, to work in power, work mightily, work in miracles, Lord. We invite you, Holy Spirit. We invite you. We push away any impediments that hold us away from you. We put them under our feet. We trample them under our feet. And we declare a clear and smooth path of invitation.
Holy Spirit, come, Lord, and touch our lives. Come and touch our lives, Lord Jesus. May none of us ever be the same. But let us encounter you, Lord, powerfully encounter you. And I declare this over every person in the house and those watching online. An encounter with the mighty power of God in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for your greatness. We thank you for your promises. Yes, let's give the Lord a hand because he is great. He is great. He is great. Lord, you are great. Lord, you are mighty and you are merciful. And you love us. As Randall said before, you love us. And you're good to us. We're your children. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.